Welcome to Drive the Bid, the podcast, brought to you by AutoHunter.com and ClassicCars.com. Getting business out of the way as usual, AutoHunter.com, seven-day online auto auction for vintage, classic, and interesting cars. Cars are listed with people's the auction format. Then ClassicCars.com is where you want to go and list your car as a traditional classified listing over there where once it's all set up, it's... uh, it's there till it sells, right, boys? That's so, right. All right. So, a couple things to go over. Number one thing to go over, I'm sitting here, as always, with Jeff. Yep. And Derek. Hello. More commonly referred to as Jalabi Jeff, and there will be cars, Derek. And That's I right. myself am Brad. Auto off topic, Auto Brad. Topic, Brad. Oh, sure. You got to plug <laughs> yep. me, too, right? <laughs> yes. All right, guys. So, it's not... A secret that our parent company is Barrett Jackson. Mm-hmm. They he, are, the, yeah. <laughs> Derek is uninformed apparently. <laughs> so Barrett Jackson owns the Collector Car Network, which is the company that owns Auto Hunter and ClassicCars.com. So Barrett Jackson, being our parent company, we do have an event coming up in a week or so, a couple weeks. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's a both. show. It's a it show. Is, yeah. it, yes, it's it's the greatest uh, collector auction show on earth. Lifestyle event. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting tactical here, boys. And just as a, I guess, aforementioned for this, actually, if you want to look at this yourself, um, it's currently up on the Barrett Jackson website, and it is being updated regularly with cars as they get added for the upcoming auction. So, so that, that is barrett-jackson.com. And then you go to the events section, and then there's a tab that says dock it, and you can look and see what cars are there. So if you're interested in purchasing a car in Houston, you can see what's going to run, get some pictures, maybe uh, do a little more research and digging into that car before you're there that day and don't have enough time to figure out what you want. So very easy to find this list. So that being said, is there anything you guys wanted to bring up outside of this, or you want to get right into this? I think we're good to go. All right. Yeah, sounds good to me. Excellent. So, is there a standout car, Derek, that uh, you want to bring up, and maybe we can dive a little deep into? Yes. Well, there's there's a couple in particular uh, that that stand out. Um, but I wanted to say first, you know, what what's really cool about the Bear Jackson auctions is obviously you know they've made a name for themselves with you know collector cars uh, and. In a lot of cases, that's like classics, you know, older cars. But Mm -hmm. there's such a mix of those along with later models. Uh, With this show in Houston, you know, that you've got more modern Ford GTs. You've got the current generation GTs. And you've got uh, Hummers from yesteryear and even the new electric version. Uh, Now, there are two picks in particular that really stand out to me. But um, I'll start... You know, I'll just go with the the biggest one to me, and that is a 1954 Kaiser Darren. It's a very unusual looking car, and uh, it was a from what I've read, it's a sort of skunk works build. You know, it was um, built uh, by a coach builder, and it was based on a um, on a uh, Kaiser platform but the coach builder was not supposed to use any company time or company funds to make it so it was a sort of skunk works build and then the story goes uh, according to what i read that 
the head of Kaiser's wife saw this car and told him, oh, well, you know, a lot of companies, this is a gorgeous car. A lot of companies are going to start building sports cars after this. Why doesn't this company build them? And so um, it eventually went into production. Uh, the the build was, I think, completed in 52, but there were some circumstances that led to it going into production in 1954. And unfortunately, it ended up being a one-year-only vehicle. But these days, that makes it special and rare. They only produced 435 of them. It had a, uh, I guess you would say, a, a Willis uh, six-cylinder engine. Willis, yep. And then um, a... Uh, a very unusual feature doors that retract into the front fenders uh, horizontally yeah the door doesn't open on any kind of a hinge it's like a sliding door on a minivan but instead of going to the outside it goes inside the fender it's it's in a way you could say it's like a suicide minivan door i would say uh this style became popular around i don't know five or six years ago on HG television when they started putting uh, pocket doors in their house renovations. Yeah, <laughs> so it's I was a very pocket door too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very similar style to a pocket door. Uh, only one other car I can think of ever was produced with a similar door. And I think we were talking about that before the podcast, and that would be the uh, BMW Z1 or Z1, I guess. Depending, depending on from. what side of the pond you're on. Yeah, which, which the door doesn't open forward or back. It goes down, down into the rocker panel. Also bizarre. It kind of yeah. makes it fun because then it's almost like one of those like cabana island vehicles that you see, you know, that I love, don't a, have doors. Surrey car. Is that what they're called? Yeah, Surrey car. Like the Fiat Jollies and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this it, would look perfect on an island, you know, just cruising around in this it. This just looks perfect anywhere. Yeah, it's a gorgeous it's, car. Yeah, especially in that shade of green, you know. And then to me, the there was a time when I just couldn't remember it, but I always remembered the grill of this car because it always reminded me of a sand dollar, you know. Um, I think they have a you know a different name for it, but a very distinctive car. And to me, it, it looks like a combination of a, at a you know 1950s American car mixed with like a 1950s uh, English or Italian car, particularly the. Uh, the quarter panels. Okay, yeah, the very MGA Jaguar of the era quarter panel sh- shape for sure. And the nose is very like 55 Thunderbird kind of ish. I was going to say it's almost like a very like GM prototype y. Yeah, like a Harley Earl kind of design. One of the ones he would have done in the in the 50s, like the Buick Y job and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, very very cool. So it is rumored that there were six that were swapped to Cadillac V8s. That would be sweet. Right after Especially the production if it's manual. Yeah, um, not sure if that is. It's a rumor, so who knows? You know what I mean? They're not. Uh, they're not official Kaiser Darrens. They're just uh, rumored V8 swapped ones. But they're super cool. Um, I like them a lot. I don't think that most people know what they are. Kaisers in general are kind of an unknown, unloved brand. And if you mm-hmm. look into any of their their time, their, their designs of the era, all their cars are a little, a little more futuristic and flowy than the ones from the big three. 
Well, does does anybody make production parts for any of those anymore? Or are you pretty much limited to what you can find in a junkyard? Yeah, I don't think there's like a reproduction company right. doing Kaiser or Fraser or right. even Nash parts. It's just knowing where you have to find them. I mean, one of my favorite Kaiser facts is the Henry J. Yeah. So it was kind of like a the GM cars of the late 40s had like a fleet line design, the Chevys and, and Cadillacs and Oldsmobiles. And the Henry J looks very similar to one of those, but it's a little four-cylinder. And I think maybe also the same inline six that was in the Darren was in the some of these cars. But it's cool because they were also sold as a brand new car through Sears. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but you could buy them. They weren't called Kaisers. They were called Allstates. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, that sounds nice. like a very period correct kind of thing. You know, oh, get it from Sears. Yeah, honey, I bought a new saw. Also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. did you get new jeans? I did. How'd you get home? Take the bus? No, I also bought a car. Yeah, I also bought a car. <laughs> so they were they were pretty cool. I mean, at the time in the in the fifties, uh, you know, people weren't really on about fuel economy or efficiency. They just wanted you know, the biggest tail fins and the chromiest chrome bumper and, you know, the most pedestrian killing spears on the front of the car they could get. <laughs> hey, but they, they put rubber tips on some of those. On some the bullets, of all right. the dag bars. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, the Kaiser was like, you know, it was known as an economy car at the time when economy cars weren't really popular. So didn't exactly sell a ton. This is my impression of somebody in the 50s. Fuel economy? What's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fuel, fuel was twenty-seven cents a gallon, probably, or maybe even less at the time. Who knows? But however, they were uh, they were fairly fuel efficient. They could get thirty miles per gallon, you know, on a highway run, or twenty-five combined, or something like that. So they did they did very well in that. And people who were frugal would want these cars. However. Nobody was frugal because... They were too busy living the American dream. It, well, yeah, they were too busy with <laughs> their two and a half children and, you know, other tropes of the era that we won't get into here on the podcast. Oh, boy. Yeah, I think we're getting a little we'll sidetracked. We'll for, stop it right there. As, as per every episode. But I, I think that's really cool because Kaisers are kind of one of those just it, what it could what could have been brands of America. And a Henry J is a really neat looking car. And actually, because of their compact size, they were super popular to build to do drag cars. Oh, okay. So obviously the other thing America was obsessed with, you know, in the 50s and 60s was how fast can we do a quarter mile? It's, it's to this day. It hasn't gone away. Yeah. I'm just saying that's when it was really its heyday. You saw the beginning of the NHRA and you saw the beginning it's, of cars going from officially, from, from you know, racing on the highways and the beaches to sanctioned races at sanctioned drag strips. And, Henry J was one of the popular ones, and a lot of the other cars that were "quote unquote" economy cars of the era were also turned into drag cars of the era, like the Fiat Topolino or the uh, uh, Ford Fort Anglias. All these cars that failed as economy cars didn't have much of a secondhand market, so they were just built into drag cars. Yeah, this is a you know, another episode thing, but it's so funny that you mentioned that because I was literally reading a magazine yesterday that talked about in 1963 how there was a big expo to introduce the quarter mile and drag racing to England. It's, uh, is that what's called now Santa Pod Raceway? Uh, I didn't. I don't remember that part of it, but it was basically talking about how it was a British guy 
that helped start it because he was fascinated by American drag racing and they brought cars from overseas including like Moon Eyes dragsters and a lot of famous drivers went overseas to England we to do a whole episode expo. about Moon Eyes and the history of Moon Eyes because I am you personally obsessed yes. with it and it's cool now because Moon Eyes is actually an American company mm-hmm. but it's now owned by a Japanese company and Moon Eyes is almost bigger in Japan than it is here now I mean at the time obviously in the 50s and 60s it was huge in America you can go to a good but guy show and find Moon eyes on sure. every car. On every car, and you you sometimes see some of their products in cars that run on Auto Hunter. Oh, jeez, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to out corporate shill Jeff in this, but yeah, I don't so know. Speaking, who speaking the shill. of yeah, corporate shill, uh, the 1954 Kaiser Darren convertible is lot number 684, and you can check this car out on Barrett Jackson. Oh, that was very official. Com. I feel like we've got to watch the broadcast to hear your voice announcing <laughs> lot numbers. Oh well, yeah. that's another thing, Jeff. You're going to be actually profiling this car at the Houston show, so they'll be able yes. to see your coverage of it yes so go subscribe to our youtube channel um, which is auto hunter cinema and you will see videos of the cars we cover at the auction well i will put it out there right now if any of you ever find a uh, low-cost kaiser manhattan sedan give me a call i kind of want one very very neat cars of the era going back to the kaiser thing bring it back in topic here yes okay um so i'll i'll move it forward then with the next car um this is possibly the the most interesting car um that made me do a bunch of research and that's lot number 438 1968 amc amx von piranha edition so this is a red amc amx that's been modified by a dealer in colorado so you stumped me with this one i had never heard of it yes and i'm pretty into it i don't think it's attractive uh okay yeah i do like amx's they are one of my favorite cars this particular one though has enough changes that i'm not really i don't know i it's not well known enough i think to i I feel like i would drive that and somebody be like who's this dummy with yeah why did you put all that on his roof and cut slits in his hood i just it's it's interesting it's a neat piece of history but i'm not really into it i guess yeah, so supposedly, and it's it's hard to find information. There's some other articles from Motor Trend and things that have written articles on these cars. Um, but apparently it's one of 22 produced by Thoroughbred Motors in Denver, Colorado. And it's essentially a 390 car um, with the GoPack that was then modified by this dealership for drag racing. And the hood scoops, which Brad was making fun of, are all functional on the car. On the roof. Um, so, okay, so let's let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, so the side scoops that have been added are supposedly for rear brake cooling. Okay, and the roof scoops are supposedly um, this this one they're not open, but supposedly on race cars they were cut open to cool the inside, and then the vents in the hood I believe are just for removing heat. The vents in the hood are interesting. Yes. While most companies would have added a scoop. It looks like gills. It looks like they just yeah. cut it. Hence and the piranha name. Bent it up. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of the AMX version of like a Yenko supercar. Yes. Or yeah, a dealership. Or a Mr. Special. Norm's Dodge. Wait, it's funny that you mentioned Mr. Norm's. We'll talk about that more later. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's very neat. I'm not going to say it's a bad car because it's not a bad car. I just don't know that's a car for me. And I am an AMX guy. <laughs> Um, I think if it didn't have the roof scoops, I might be more into it. But I think the roof scoops are ruining it for me, which is weird. Because I'm as sorry, a giant, Brad, that a functional race car is uninteresting to you. As a giant rally nerd, I am way into the roof scoop because most rally cars do have roof scoops. I think it's just the 
the visual of this one is just different to me. Well, let's say it's a bad car, and if somebody bought it, I'd love to see it. And to add to the interest, to turn this into a mystery um, podcast, um, I, there was in some Bigfoot of my research. <laughs> yeah, in some of my research for this, you, you see this car, and like what Brad was saying earlier, there's a sort of like, well, that's kind of funky. Why are there all these fiberglass parts on your car, so to speak? But then. One of the magazines talked about how there is another orange one that is seen at various car shows also in Colorado. So there is at least two cars known to exist still, um, uh, aside from this one, which may very well be the best condition for all we know. Uh, it's very nice. It's funny, even trying to find information about this car, last time we talked to it and prior to this podcast, mm-hmm. the most of the articles on the internet are about this specific car. This specific car, <laughs> yeah, yes. So it's hard yes. to find information. Mm-hmm. It's not like a Yenko where you can just go find a ton of info because a lot of them were saved articles. and a lot of yeah. them are still around. Well, or, you know what I found out? There were a thousand uh, Copo Camaros with the L72 427 built. So that's way more than a lot of cars are 22 von piranhas except they were built by chevrolet so they have a little bit more provenance behind them because they weren't a dealership somewhere and the yanko cars have provenance behind them because people know the name if people knew the name of this dealer thoroughbred motors in denver this car would have a whole different story and its value prospect would be you know like a six-figure yanko car well yeah so of that a thousand two hundred and one are yankos and That's then neat. there's an extra 69 that are the Dick Harrell, Fred Gibbs, Chevrolet, ZL1s. Yep, which are also cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the Yanko stuff is kind of near and dear to my heart. You know, growing up as a Camaro person, but Yanko was cool because he did Camaros and Novas mm-hmm. and the uh, Corvair. Corvair Stinger yep. with the the turbocharged, the white and blue. Like Flat that's, six. Yeah. That's that's a cool car. So. Anyway, yeah, this this is this is neat, Jeff. I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna make fun of you for picking it. That's fine. It's a neat car. Uh, it's different enough, but it's not. I don't know. I don't know what this to say about it. This is not something that you will see unless you're at Barrett Jackson Houston or watching it on TV or live streaming or checking out our YouTube channel. <coughs> cough, cough. Go subscribe and check those out. <laughs> <laughs> this will be one of Jeff Sutton's interesting finds. Yes, videos. absolutely. This will be excellent. Yep. So I dig it. I'm uh, 100% into it. I would drive it. All right. It's your turn to pick a car, Just Brad. Different places. Uh, I pick a, I picked a car, and then I looked closer at it, and I deleted that car. Oh. And then I went to a different car because it's absolutely 100% not something I would drive. But knowing that it was built in period makes me a little bit more into it. So I'm going to start this with a quick backstory. It's a Mustang. It is. Eddie Paul. It is, yes. So I'm going to start this with a quick backstory. So when I was growing up, so I'm 41 now, which means I was born in 81. I had a stack of Hot Rod magazines that had been in the house for wherever. I think my father had them, you know, at his, he owned a body shop at the time. I think they came from there. But they were all from like 1979 to 1984. And one of the very popular styles at the time were street freaks. And the street freak hot rods all had like huge jacked up stances in the back, engines through Mm -hmm. the hood, wild panel painting and endless line, and all those like typical 70s modification touches. Go hand in hand with Rat Fink? Uh, After Rat Fink. Mm -hmm. It's a little different than that. So a lot of them had like appliance mag wheels where they do like the appliance mesh or appliance wires or... What's what's that, uh, the toy company that builds the ridiculously jacked up rear cars or the scales are all irproportionate? Jada? Yeah. 
Is so, it Jada? No, they're a muscle. American Muscle. Uh, yeah. Was the name of the series. Yes. I don't know who is, makes is, them. Is that the uh, build style you're talking about, Brad? No, because the... <laughs> I mean, I mean that's a cartoonish version of that style. But one of the other things that was popular at the time was what they called IMSA kits. Now, the IMSA kits were fiberglass body kits that you could buy to make your car have giant box flares on it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that the IMSA car, so obviously, you know, the uh, sports car race series was IMSA at the time. Mm-hmm. Still and, is. Yep. And one of the things that you stylistically had on IMSA cars at the time was super wide fenders in order to clear big, you know, sticky slicks. Those cars also, they wouldn't style the backside of the fender. It was usually open to like these giant vents and had like these slats inside of it, not unlike the. I guess you'd, what do you call them, uh, on the bottom of like a McLaren nowadays, diffusers, not unlike a diffuser mm-hmm. on a new sports car, but they would go horizontally instead of vertically. So these cars were in the backs, the back of Hot Rod Magazine. You could buy these kits for your Monza or your Camaro or your Datsun 280ZX or all these things that were, you know, contemporary cars at the time. And I fell in love with those big box flared IMSA style builds. And this particular Mustang that's running, lot number 665, <laughs> is a uh, 1965 Ford Mustang Fastback Eddie Paul Mustang Magic is the name of the car. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Eddie Paul is. I don't know who Mustang Magic means, but it was built in the late 70s, which means that's... And refurbished recently. 2007, it was refurbished, yeah. But that means that this car was built at the height of that like Hot Rod Magazine IMSA kit craze at the end of the 70s but you know what one of the biggest differences is is this is not a fiberglass kit it's not so this car it features that style but they actually took other mustang quarter panels did the metal work and then extended the body okay well there's some fiberglass stuff on here too it has the trans amp style front air damage fiberglass and i believe the hood's all fiberglass fiberglass, yeah but anyway what i'm saying is it was done in that period and it emulates that style Mm -hmm like perfectly nobody would ever take a 65 fastback now and cut it up and turn it into this car yeah but i think the colors on this car the red with the oranges and yellows very and stuff is very yeah very period correct um so it's there's certainly nothing like it on the street and i believe it has a built up essentially hypo 289 right yeah it's a 300 horse or so 276 horsepower 289 so i'm i'm way into this car it's nothing that if you told me I would be into it and described it to me, I would be into it. There's a couple of touches I don't love on the car, but it's not my car, so I can't say much about it. Uh, the uh, seats were added after the 70s. They were Caros. They're cool. I'm not sure they fit the style of the build perfectly, but it is what it is. And there's some gauges in the dash that I would get rid of because they're a very modern style. But overall, this thing is wild. And I would love to have this you know, period correct vehicle kind of in my... Uh, in my quiver of cars to use because I don't know, the car definitely has a story. Definitely stands yes. out too. Yeah, it definitely has a story. And being as it was built in period, I don't feel bad about it being a, you know, cut up Mustang. <laughs> so it's very yes. cool. It's it's very cool. It's very different. It's outside the ordinary. Um and I'm into it. Yeah, and I mean the other thing is like like you mentioned, even though it is a cut up fastback at the time, a fastback was just in the late 70s, we're talking about car. a 10-year-old used yes. car. It wasn't anything special. It would be like going out and 
cutting up a 2008 bullet today. Don't you dare, Brad. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Sorry, but that's, that's my first pick of the event. And uh, if I had to go home with one car, that'd probably be it. That's a cool one. Yeah, that'd probably be it. So yeah. it makes a statement. Yeah, I've, I've I'd had no idea those existed. And uh, the taillights and the, the wheels are really interesting to me because obviously it looks like they took the taillights from a different vehicle. And I the, think the taillights are first-gen Camaro. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the the wheels almost, they look kind of like the snowflake wheels you could get on the 70s Trans Am. So that's what I was talking about, appliance mags. Those are appliance wheels. I don't know which model they would have been, but they might have been called appliance wire also or wear blood series. They, probably, they, they probably were appliance hot wire or wire or mesh mag or when you pick your next car i'll figure it out so appliance meaning that was the company's name or that was the name of the wheel company that was hot back then yeah interesting okay i cra- thought it was just a general your center term. lines and your appliance wow okay they were a big a big company at the time I just, yeah, probably because people were confused why their dishwasher wasn't arriving and they kept getting wheels. I don't think they were. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think about it too, at the time, you didn't have... Appliances? I mean, you didn't have the internet, obviously. It was the yeah. 70s. So you only knew what you knew. And you only knew what was advertised in the back of Hot Rod magazine or mm-hmm. that you saw at a speed shop downtown. Like There was no other way to learn this stuff. Well, there was Sears. There was Sears, yes. And I'm sure Sears sold aftermarket wheels. I just don't know what particular brands they did because I was too young at the time to know, but it's before your time. So they're called appliance dye mag. That's what it looks like. So I do remember these ads being in the back of all or in all of the hot rod magazines and stuff of the time too. So a wire mag appliance wire mag. That was the, uh, na- the name of the wheel. So, cause it kind of looks yeah, like a that wire. Sounds confusing. Let's just combine the name of multiple wheels into the name of one wheel. Well, if you look at the wheels, it looks like a wire wheel design, a woven wire design, but in aluminum. So at the time, think about the time. There was no BBS RS yet. There was no other, you know, mesh. There's no Enki 92s yet. These were the first of that, like, basket weave style aluminum wheel at the time. So they called it a wire because it kind of looked like a wire wheel, but not. Do you have a car, Derek? Oh yes, um, this is. This was tough, but the uh, the Kaiser was just too rare and too beautiful in that color green to put it as second. But this um, this next one, I really this this really jumped out to me. So uh, I have a soft spot for the not only the new uh, but the classic Jeep Grand Wagoneers and. There is one in particular on the docket, lot number 669. Um, I'll be waiting for my check, Barrett Jackson. Uh, <laughs> I believe that's I believe uh, they, on the they, 15th and the 30th yes, of every I month. I believe they give it to you regularly. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of this as a bonus. Um, it is uh, lot number 669. It is a one-owner 89 Grand Wagoneer with 57,000 miles on it. And on top of that, it is a very attractive it's in great shape from what i see in the pictures and it's also a very attractive color combo so it's uh dover gray metallic so it's a dark gray with a cordovan kind of a oxblood interior just a great color combo yeah that's really good yeah 
Yeah, and uh, close to the final year of the Grand Wagoneer. And yeah, one owner, 57,000 miles. I mean, this is, these days especially, it's got to be an absolute rarity. And it's not, you know, restored or, you know, uh, retrofitted or anything like that. It's not It's not a Wagon Master build, which does great builds. But, you know, uh, this is in fantastic shape and it's original. Yeah, I know something to be said for, for an original one, too. The Wagon Master ones are cool, but, I mean, they're quite expensive oh yeah they've gone they've gone up by a substantial amount just in the past few years i remember four or five years ago maybe they were you know like a final series like 91 grand wagoneer that they had you know redone would be like 70 or 80 and now i've seen some on their site it's like buck 50 buck 60 buck 70 I mean, the, the values have just skyrocketed. Yeah, they're quite expensive. So I, I'd be curious to see what this one goes for. Uh, and we can all find out by tuning into the live stream, going yeah. to the show, watching Jeff's coverage. <laughs> so many options. Um, it's, it's really cool looking at the engine bay photos for this car because looking at it, you see all of the like original equipment uh, stickers and obviously even that uh, the air tank, the air intake funnel for the air cleaner there. Um, seeing stuff like that is normally the stuff that either gets ripped off in frustration of replacing the air cleaner or just pieces that get dirty or whatever over time. And this has all of it. Yeah. And some people, you know, they they have it, uh, you know, the carbureted versions converted to fuel injection. But, yeah, this is wow. What a solid just what a solid example. Good I'd, grief. I'd probably still convert to fuel injection to make it more efficient and daily driver ready. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm thinking could. LS swap, twin turbos. Well, now we're talking about <laughs> an, icon, horsepower. An, an icon build. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> it would be neat to have just a reliable, fairly efficient, daily drivable one of those. You know, I think they're kind of a, they have like a subtle classiness to them. Oh, yeah. Like a yeah, lot of times like you're driving an Instagram old. Instagram Yeah, but a lot of times you're yeah. driving an old yes. vehicle and people who are not into cars are just like, who is that poor person over there? In their Everybody old car. would love one of these. <laughs> but these kind of have that like uh, understated. I I don't need to be ostentatious, but I'm also showing you that I have great taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you know, um, being a New England guy, you know, these apparently are very popular up there. And touching on what Jeff said, you know, a lot of uh, Instagram personalities, especially people, you know, in fashion and lifestyle. These are a star of Instagram and social media content. And I think it was, um, I want to say uh, Nantucket, there, there was a time several years ago when there were so many of these rolling around there. Aren't they Range Rover people now? They it's might still, be. There's I don't still know. a lot of these. Mm-hmm. So the problem is, like anything in the Northeast, they all rotted into the ground and were thrown away. Yeah. That being said, people in like, and I don't want to, uh, talk poorly of people in that area, but it's a well, very from the East Coast. We'll it's a very a wealthy, like Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard, or those kind of places, or even up in places in Vermont and Maine. You know, maybe in like Belle Isle, Maine, places like that. They're they're very um, very wealthy, and a lot of them won't live there in the wintertime. So these cars would sit in garages for six to eight months out of six months six to eight <laughs> months out of the year and they'd be preserved from that salt and that terrible weather that we we had that whole year so there are a surprising number of these in comparison to other you know suvs of the era still on the road out there hmm. just because of you know they, they they were never cheap they were always like 
they're always they're always a choice. Like you didn't cross shop a bunch of SUVs and wind up in a Grand Wagoneer. Like you went out and you bought a Grand Wagoneer. Yeah, because at the time it was a, a singularity. You know, it had so many features that other SUVs just hadn't gone with yet. Yeah, it's weird to think about Jeep as this you know super luxurious brand, but these particular vehicles were. Even though they were also they're parts bin cars because I think we talked about this in a, an earlier episode that Jeep of the era was owned by AMC. And AMC wasn't exactly a thriving automobile builder anymore no. by the 80s. So a lot of technology they borrowed from others. So the fact that they could even sell a vehicle for a premium is kind of a strange thing in general. And it's why these cars have really held their value. Like if you look at the steering wheel on that car and the steering column, and then you went and you got a 1985 Monte Carlo, you'd be looking at the same steering wheel and the same steering column in the same colors they didn't even change the steering wheel like it's the same steering wheel with a different emblem in the middle of it so it's a bizarre kind of time in automotive history in america when amc was really kind of falling flat but they still had this super premium luxury suv that people would run out and buy if, if they had money so and another odd thing about these is uh particularly like when you look at the the later model grand wagoneers is you know that generation of wagoneer slash grand wagoneer because 84 they switched to just calling it grand wagoneer sure. exclusively is that you know it, it was a 28-year model run, yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's hard, right? No, 63 to 91. 63 so, was that early. Okay. Yeah, so, like, if you, let's say you drive a 91, uh, the the one that I drove uh, several years ago as part of a story I was writing was an 84, I think. And, you know, essentially, the, the core of it, even those later model ones, date back to the early 60s. You know, obviously, they made updates over the years, but... You know that they were all within that same generation it's just a very i mean you look at vehicles that have had really long generations i can't think of one that's even half as long as that oh volkswagen beetle oh okay well you got me there uh, r107 mercedes is like 20 years right yeah but it's still less than this so and the cool thing is the basic shape never changed and if i'm not mistaken oh, and Mini cooper okay Mini cooper's another one yep uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that if you took the grill off of a newer, modern era Grand Wagoneer, you would see the basic shape of the early cars, like the the, the subframe or the, the radio support kind of area was kind of the same. And I know there are some that can be backdated to a certain era. I don't know when that changed, but I know the early ones had like round headlights and then in the 70s, they switched to like a, a rectangle headlight, I think. But I, I haven't prepared as far as dates go, so I don't know for a fact. I just know that they went from, the early ones had almost what looked like dual rounds, and then they went to like a single round and then a single square. So, but I think that behind all that plastic trim is still like the same basic shape of the 1963. There's got to be some similarities in there. I mean, I mean the hoods look the same. They have that same peak in the middle. Like it never changed. And the only thing that changed, I think also in the 70s, is the taillights. Because in the early cars, they had a wraparound taillight. And they went to that 
horizontal taillight that didn't wrap around in the 70s or 80s, and that went all the way to the end of the run. Well, no, the, the vertical ones. Vertical, sorry. They went from wrap around horizontal to a vertical, yeah. Which, to me, is a regrettable choice, because I, I love the wraparounds on these. I'm sure it's a legality thing. They weren't meeting standards of the yeah, era. Probably. Or it could be a parts bin thing. Maybe they're from another vehicle. <laughs> that Who would knows? make sense, too, yeah. I mean, they kind of look like the same taillights that would have been in a Polara Volari wagon. So, zoom tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong, but they look like a very similar design, which, you know, buying it from Chrysler, that would make sense because AMC and Chrysler were obviously very affiliated for a while before Chrysler bought them. So, anyway, moving on. That is very cool. All right, one more from Jeff. Okay, so sticking with my normal theme of picking all of the wacky, crazy stuff, um, this one is very um, over-the-top, but in the best way. It's lot number 701, a 1971 Plymouth GTX custom coupe, which has been swapped with a Viper V10. I'm out. <laughs> oh, man. So this is a super cool build because not only is it a Viper V10, it's also mated to a T56 six-speed manual transmission, which I believe would have been the Viper transmission, the Viper transmission as, yeah. well, as well. And, of course, you can't go wrong with that. And cleverly, they have changed the name to GTX-R in reference to the addition of its new power plant that it features and it features a ton of new stuff um it's featured in f8 green which is a traditional uh, mopar color it's a great color too it, it is, is. Yes. I, I, I am a huge proponent of green and brown cars and this here yes. definitely does not disappoint the british uh, were classic of it but even the uh, the one that comes to mind immediately for whatever reason is the uh, anniversary miata or whatever the special edition yeah Miata. the british racing green Miata. yeah i mean i i own a green car and a brown car so that's kind of my thing but i really like green cars but they're underrated uh, for sure also i've just always loved this year for the gtx that front end is so good the front end is very cool the back end is interesting too the actual gtx of the time had below the taillights that is the lower valance in the back mm -hmm. and around the taillights is painted black and at the time, the car also had a black panel below the taillight of the valance as well that had the exhaust tips that had like red inserts in them, which were really cool. Well, you know what else is really cool about this? And if you have keen eyes, you may notice it. But the headlights on this particular GTX have been swapped out with the Hellcat Modern headlights Hellcat that headlights, have yeah. the intake in through the inner uh, headlight. Yeah, I'm so not you get a modern fan. headlights with functionality i'm not a fan of modern headlights and vintage cars this is but, cool because it's like this one part actually works yes. yeah it, it blends in really pretty well, well. It looks really good. yeah you honestly if you if you didn't know a whole lot about gtx's you wouldn't even notice you wouldn't even notice yeah. i think that they're very cool i'll have to show you guys a picture after we record here because we were struggling yesterday to figure out what the headlights in a 1968 camaro that we were submitted were from well, that's, I mean, there's probably, this, anything that's a basic circle, there's literally infinite replacements. It's not a basic circle. I can yes. tell you that right now. Well, so mean. this this car had 1999 Saturn SL1 headlights and oh, 1968 Camaro. What? Yes, it was interesting for sure. You will have to show the picture. It was a choice. Because now I'm We'll concerned. just say that. Yeah, it was a choice. Okay, so I'm going to pick one more car because that'll get us each to two cars. Yep. Uh, I have one question for you, gentlemen, before I pick my car, though. So much cool stuff. Okay. Well, I chose two, and I need to break it down to one. You chose so, all of the LS6. Did not. Chevelles. Did not. So 
give me a rule here. Can I purchase the car and then modify it to my liking, or am I supposed to pick a car that's already modified to my liking? Already modified. I, I okay. would say you could do either, but what are both cars? For the purpose of this exercise, what can I do? So one of them is a 1958 Impala hardtop. Okay. Uh, it's lot 708. Uh, it's a gray car, white top, neat lowered stance. Uh, it's got an LS something in it. It looks like it's an LS three, uh, but it does have like 20 inch wheels and some other stuff that I'm not into. So that was what I was going to pick because I had to make some changes in order to make it mine, but I'm not going to drive it with those wheels because it's not my style. So being as that we have decided here, Derek has anyway, that I need to keep it as is. My word is final. <laughs> Derek's word is bond, <laughs> is bond here, yes. Um, something that I've always wanted to try is a C1 Corvette. Mm. A late C1 Corvette or C2. I'm a huge fan of the Stingrays, but value-wise, they've gone through the roof. And to get a C2 like Stingray is way outside of my price range. A C1 is also outside of my price range, but they're closer, I guess you could say, for a driver-style car. Not a fuel-y car, not a concourse car, just a driver car. So lot number 796 is my second pick of the day. This is a 1962 Chevrolet Corvette convertible. It has what I would call day two modifications. And if you're not familiar with day two modifications, it's kind of a term that muscle car people have come up with where the car looks like it was bought brand new at the dealer. And then on the first owner on day two went out and made a couple changes to personalize it because that's what they would have done at the time. So usually a pretty stock looking vehicle with maybe slightly adjusted stance and a set of wheels on it. So this is a 62 Corvette with a nice set of 15 inch Kragers, Krager SS's. It's in Honduras maroon. And I chose it because when I was a kid, my grandfather, and after he passed, my father had it, was a 1963 Corvette Stingray convertible in this very similar maroon. May have been Marlboro maroon on a C2, but it could have been Honduras maroon. I was, you know, 10 years old, I don't remember. But it was a very similar color. It was a Roadster. It was a four-speed. This car is a four-speed. It's 62, so it is obviously a convertible. It has a yeah, the four-speed manual. It's supposedly John Lingenfelter built the 355 cubic inch small block in this I was car wondering if you're going to brush over that in or not. 1985, which is also really cool. Yeah. So it's just a cool name to have behind the car. So, But the 15-inch chrome Kragers, the kind of like not show car quality, but nice driver quality and a four-speed, I can see this car being a ton of fun. Well, so to back that up a little bit more with the paper specs, because I can read a dealer sheet um apparently when the car was dyno tested per john lingenfelter the car has 383 horsepower and 407 pound feet of torque so to answer your question yes it would move yeah those are also pretty big numbers for 85 oh yeah yes so considering what this car would have come with new to be a performance car and considering it now has 383 horsepower yes yeah it's probably also sketchy well there's something about the first gen corvettes that i just love with that that mirror mounted in the dash the four-speed shifter the big steering wheel like everything about it is just like it just screams drive me and like abuse me basically <laughs> oh yeah that's yeah i think it would it's a for sure would just rip a burnout anytime you demand it to do right. so you know and as in as i as i age in life and i'm not a teenager anymore i feel like if i had a car like this and i did do an occasional you know 
unregulated, not recommended thing, I have a better chance of getting away with it than I would have when I was, you know, 20. So. Some young punk? Yeah. Now right. I'm just an old punk. <laughs> it's okay. John Lincoln Felter said I could do it. Yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> it's just something about a big American V8 or a small American V8 and a traditional, you know, I'm assuming it's probably a Muncie, a Muncie four-speed, whether it's an M20 or an M21, M22, whatever. Just that experience of driving that car with that, like, really agricultural four-speed in a sports car style package is just, it's very appealing. So I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to drive this car a bit. Yeah, so. I don't blame you there. That's that's you can't go wrong with with Corvettes. Yeah, I'm, um, not, I'm not a Corvette guy. Like I'm really not. I've never owned a Corvette. It's a shame. Everybody should be a Corvette I, guy. I've, yeah, I've never owned a Corvette. I've never really desired to own many Corvettes. That's changed a bit as should have as time goes on. I, I think it was just you know when when your younger car enthusiast Corvettes are out of reach. And you look at a Corvette and you say, oh, that's, you know, that's a retired guy's car, you know? You can buy a terrible C4 for There is no terrible C4. Oh, 100% there there are. Nope, they're not terrible C4s. Okay, let me rephrase. Chevy never built a terrible C4. 84. I still like them. And what do I like about the 84 C4? That they break all the time? I'm going to tell you right now. So I just talked about the small block backed by a traditional Mm four-speed. The 84 is that. So it has the Doug three. Nash four plus three transmission, which is essentially essentially. There are no man, cars that today. currently have the plus three working that you could buy. That's fine, because at the end of the day, it's a traditional old school muscle car feel because this is a four speed transmission, and I'm into it. I suppose. And they do have the plus three working, but All it is an electric switch that turns to overdrive. The eighty four is notoriously known for being it's fine. mechanically it's, and electrically. Eh. It's fine. Um, anywho, um, also, we covered a lot of older American-type cars um, in this discussion, but it's I think it's important to point out that there is everything from even older than what we talked about, plenty of other uh, 50s and even 40s stuff on the dock, and all the way to brand new stuff. There's plenty of Ford GTs of both generations. There's Porsches. There's Aston Martins. Um, there's also trucks, both big and small, including Hummers, and including a Predator Hummer, um, which is one of the crazy high-end build Durabax swap stuff. So there's pretty much everything that you could be interested in as a automotive enthusiast uh, that'll be going up for sale in Houston here, uh, October 20th to the 22nd. Excellent. So I think that's uh, that's going to wrap it up for the uh, corporate chill episode of the quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to move on to record next week's episode next week. I think we'll have a deeper dive on a topic next week. We're going to learn about mm-hmm. some stuff. So that's the plan. So we'll have to Ooh. have a conversation here after the podcast is over, what we're going to learn about. But we're all going to come in and uh, get some some good automotive history about one topic for next week. So Fantastic. Thanks for listening, as always, everybody. And thank you for being with me, as always, Jeff and Derek. And we'll talk to everybody next week. 